Welcome back, Dreadfuls. You're listening to another episode of Left for Dread, the horror podcast for everyone from newbies to fanatics. We are not a spoiler-free podcast, so make sure you've seen the movie or movies we're talking about before you listen. I'm one of your hosts, Ray. And I'm your other host, Chris. I have a special uh, surprise for everyone. This is my brainchild. Because in the, in the past, I would say month, <laughs> maybe month and a half. So for those who don't know or... Uh, I mean, I might have actually, I'm not sure if I mentioned this in the podcast before, but I'm a huge, huge Dungeons and Dragons fan, DM games all the time, but more or less every weekend. And it's probably like 90% of my free time. Now, uh, a month ago, uh, Wizard of the Coast announced this awesome new source book. It's called Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. And for those who don't know, Ravenloft is this super gothic horror campaign setting beginning i think in like advanced dozen and dragons this was a campaign setting heavily inspired by gothic horror so like bram stoker's dracula mary shelley's frankenstein witches werewolves zombies all that good stuff it proved crazy popular and over the years it still remained a very very popular campaign setting one of the most popular setting or popular campaign modules of which it's called Curse of Strahd. Uh, as we know now in the current edition, which is 5th edition, the Curse of Strahd campaign as we know it has been reprinted multiple times in Advanced D&D, 2nd edition, 3rd edition, 3.5. It got skipped in 4th edition, but they made a Castle Ravenloft board game. Now in 5th edition, which but in 2016, this classic adventure of Castle Ravenloft was re-released as the Curse of Strahd, and is by far D&D's greatest gothic horror adventure, and even now, it is heralded as one of the most popular campaigns ever. And that's a long way of saying that Ravenloft is incredibly robust, incredibly amazing, and they're finally bringing that setting into 5e with this new source book, where it talks about the Debbie Plains of Dread, which are these sort of pocket dimensions created by these dark gods and these pocket dimensions are ruled by a particular dark lord uh and these pocket dimensions are meant to be a sort of a sort of psychic and metaphysical and actually physical prison for people who've done unforgivable unspeakable sins and now they're being tortured for all time in these weird eldritch cosmic horror like shadow dimensions now i explained all this to rye and she got crazy excited and it gave me too excited (laughs) how much of a dice goblin did you pick up like how many how many Uh, how much how many pairs of dice dice do i have now um I'll say about five, maybe five. Very impressive. <laughs> You're well or on six. your way. I have like I have like five or six now because of you. But more than that, and I'm going to I'm going to take a picture of this monstrosity and I'm going to post it mm. on our social because mm-hmm. when Chris told me this, I got so excited. I just wanted to read the book because I, I this was before I had any intention of getting involved with D&D or anything like that. I just wanted mm-hmm. to read the book because I got so excited. So then I found this thing online that like it was like shaped like a tomb. 
Yes, the curse of Strahd revamped. (laughs) And I was like, and I remember asking Chris, I was like, oh, this doesn't seem like that much. Is this normal? And he was like, no, this is a fucking steal. You have to buy it. So I did. And when it got delivered, I understood why it was a steal because this isn't this like tiny thing. This thing is massive. It takes two hands for me to hold it. It, it weighs. It, it weighs a good amount of pounds. It's like it, it's it has got some girth. It's like it's. It's got a lot of stuff no. in there. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it has like the Curse of Strahd revamped source book. So they they reprinted it this past November in preparation for this new source book that's coming out called Ren, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. And it also has a GM screen, a Taroka deck, a bunch of really cool cards and maps and. The whole nine yards. Yeah, I cracked it open. I took one look at the piece of paper that's on the inside. And Tom was like, do you think you can open all of the stuff that's in here without being tempted to look through all of it? And I was like, nope. So everything in that tomb is still sealed. Because I know that if I I knew that if I cracked the plastic even a little bit, I would have spoiled everything for myself. (laughs) because i have no self-control <laughs> so i i had to give i had to give rye like a a uh a discretionary caution because like there's yeah. nothing wrong with like with reading no yeah yeah because christmas straw like so this is a you know a reprinted version or reimagined version of the original uh adventure which was and it's also a series of novels written by like margaret weiss and tracy hickman which are which are also very good uh like i think there's like i strad and then the curse of the black rose and there's like some other books i'm missing at the moment um but it's an it's a testament to how incredible this story is and um it, it it's just such an incredible love letter to all the classics uh also all all the great works of gothic horror fiction which now leads into why we're doing this episode because um so later later this year i would say maybe in like a month and a half maybe two months from now i'm going to be starting a curse of stride campaign i cannot wait because i've been i've been I've been dreaming about doing a Christmas Strahd campaign for like a like a year. <laughs> it's just uh it's 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 so exciting. I Gothic Horror is my jam. There's like all like vampires and werewolves and undead and witches and uh and dark packs and like covens and uh evil cultists. All of that is in this adventure. And I wanted to do a special episode as a prelude to the campaign that's coming up. And to share with all you Dreffles out there, like something that I take very seriously and very fond of. And now Rye is also getting really deep into it. Like this past weekend. (laughs) Yeah, this past weekend, we're we're playing another gothic adventure and they're having a ton of fun. Yeah, I play also full, like this is like my crowning achievement of my weekend is I got the COVID-19 vaccine and played three hours of D&D through a fever. On a, a hundred, uh, hundred one degree fever, <laughs> just and you didn't tell us about it until like hour three. No. It's like, it's no. like Tom, Tom was saying, uh, guys, I, I, we would like to keep going, but Rye, Rye's a really heavy fever. <laughs> we we had no idea she was playing. No, no, because so right before we started playing, I took my temperature and it said it was a hundred, and I was like, it's fine, I got this. I've got my water. I've got cra- I've got juice. I'm gonna alternate liquids. We're good. We're having fun. 
three hours later, I was like, oh, I don't feel so good. By hour three and a half, we took my temp again and it was 101.4 and I was like, we have to call it. I have to go to bed. You could literally fry an egg on my head right now. So, so metal, but so, oh my God, right? <laughs> I'm crazy because I was having even even through a fever, I was having so much fun. So oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you're feeling better. I'm glad you're 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 brave. I know. I feel like I, honestly, though, I slept from 10:30 the night before till 10:30 the next morning. I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing since it was just like a couple of hours of shittiness. It was totally fine. Um, get everybody get vaccinated. All of this is to say is. While Chris and I were talking, because we both had yesterday off, I was like, okay, look, I know we have an episode slated, but since we both have today off, if there's anything in particular that you really, really want to do, speak now or forever hold your peace, because today is the day to do it, because neither one of us have anything to do today. What is up? Yeah. And he and came back with today's episode. Yeah, so... <laughs> Um, I wanted to highlight two movies that um, that definitely have uh, they're definitely part of the genetic lineage that makes up uh, Chris Estrad. Um, so, and these are one of these films. I like argue, I, it, I don't it, only one of them does, but that's just me. Well, okay, well, like, okay, not Dracula Untold specifically, but like you know no, Vlad Tepes and argue like that does. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, so we we both love Van Helsing and for the 2004 movie by uh, Stephen uh, Stephen Summers. So trash. I, it's such trash. It's I I mean, it. it's 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 it's, it's just like a Saturday morning cartoon with Universal right. Monsters, and it's like that that is it that is equally as D and D as a really dark, grim, dark, gritty, super serious vampire like dracula origin story which is that is uh, dracula untold and i've never seen dracula untold and i've heard i've heard it was very bad and i was very curious about it i was like well now is my excuse to finally watch it so those are the two films we're watching today or reviewing today for those of you who have listened to the show before you should already know where this is headed chris loved dracula untold i did not (laughs) because i'm a low bar for entertainment (laughs) you cannot trust my 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 taste because like oh we well to be fair to be fair we can trust your taste because when we did the blair witch episode you hated blair witch too and i loved it oh okay i could hate watch the shit out of that movie i watched it like two three times for that episode chris so Let's not let's not argue about taste. I did say to Chris that there were three separate moments, probably four by the end of the four, movie. That four, made, I counted. <laughs> there were four that made the movie tolerable for me, where I was just like, huh. So there were parts of it, there were like pocket moments of that film that I was just like, all right, I don't hate this. But the rest of it sort of felt like really? That's the choice you're making? I agree. It's not it's not a great film. But I didn't think it was as terrible as everyone was making out to be. I was like, it was bad, Chris. It was pretty bad. Okay, I would say it's it was okay. It was it was mediocre slash decent, but it definitely wasn't. I I hold it higher than I do Blair. It's definitely higher on the list than Blair Witch Two. Okay, (laughs) it has it has that feather on its cap. Okay, it does. It does. 
So, yeah. But Van Helsing, so I saw Van Helsing in theaters at least four times when it came out. So. That's so dope. <laughs> Uh wait what what um I guess we we would have been in like early high school right like maybe like yeah. freshman freshman sophomore year something yeah. like that yeah I saw I took I think I saw it with my parents too like even my parents like this movie I had no life in high school guys but Van Helsing is one of those movies where you'll hear people say like it's trash but it's my trash very accurate to this film not to the degree of like or maybe to the degree of like Queen of the Damned. Where it's like trash, but it's our trash kind of deal. I think I. I mean, so we're. Um, you know, we didn't say we. We weren't talking about this. Uh, on air, but we were talking about it like late, like early in the week. Both of us, we love the Mummy and like and Stephen Summers directed both the Mummy and the Mummy Returns and, and like, it's yeah. I mean, they're based on like classic horror movies but like they're not really horror movies i mean they have horror elements but they're more action swashbuckling romps and what's even more than that is like stephen summers knows exactly the type of movie they're making and it unabashedly sticks to their guns and they just roll with it like it, it this movie never tries to be anything is not supposed to be it, like it you go into it exactly in the first 10 minutes of the film um it's you know it's gonna be a cheesy fest. schlocky but like it's charming because it's 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 a, a a loving callback to all the universal monsters that uh we that from the 30s and 40s um except they're all together in like this giant battle royale and um, I mean, there's not much, there's not much emotional depth to this movie, but like, again, it no, it's just like, it's just a, literally a Saturday morning cartoon. It's like, bam, action, bam, action, a little bit of levity, a little bit of like attempts at melodrama and then more action. And it's like, it, it just, it, it doesn't take itself seriously. Uh, Dracula Untold takes itself very seriously. And very I think that's, seriously. I think that's part of the reason why it like, it, it, it suffers um and you know at least van helsing has the honesty to know what it's trying to be and it just it just it just has fun especially yeah. especially dracula uh, played by uh, richard roxburgh and van helsing is honest with itself i mean it just has a ton of fun and all the characters especially in the monsters the monsters like they're just literal larger than life uh personalities um, if anything, the, the stoic, how stoic and how brooding Gabriel Van Helsing and Anna are, and uh, I think they just serve as a foil to let the the monsters be at play. Because yeah. the, the monsters are having all the fun in this movie, especially Count Dracula. Dracula. Is such yes. a diva yes oh my god he is he is such a diva like the whole so first of all uh the ball gets me every time because i've always wanted to like go to one of those overdone over elegant like full costume balls it's like a goal of mine in life they still can do that in, in like New Orleans. No, no, no. They do them in Venice. 
Oh, Not that I'm they... going to get to Venice anytime soon, but they still No, just then book your honeymoon in Venice then. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. I'll just go ahead and do that. But he is just so dramatic. And I think one of my favorite scenes is and this is this is where so like up until so up until this point there's this whole mysterium of like how dracula died and it was the hand of god and da, 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 da. and for whatever reason i can't remember if the first time we hear van helsing's name was prior to the ball or not but it's the first time it sticks out in my head that that one scene where like where uh Richard Roxburgh he's like Van Helsing and he's like throwing right. his hands in the air. I mean the but he doesn't the first... say his first name until the ball. Because yeah. after he takes Anna back, he's just striding through the group. Like everyone knew he was gonna do that, right? And he's like, Gabriel, oh Gabriel, and I'm like, you melodramatic little bitch. He, but, he's yes, he's you know, so alert. melodramatic, and he's, he's so. so it, 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 I love, I love that it. I love that hammed up performance so much. Like, I, I, it's been a long time since I've seen Van Helsing. I feel like the last time I saw it was like maybe like sometime early college, um, because I, I haven't seen it in like. I, I told Chris this, I rewatch clips randomly from that movie, like pretty regularly, especially the ball scene. <laughs> yeah. Like, on the regular. <laughs> I haven't seen the movie in a long while. So there, there's a lot of film, a lot of the film that seemed new to me or a lot of things that I just picked up. And one of the, like, Richard Roxburgh, like, you, just, you see everything how he's, how you see everything about him, like in the, the, the really cool black and white scene, the prologue scene where um, the Frankenstein's monster has just been created. And then, like, one of my favorite moments is it's like a very small moment. Uh, Dracula is talking to the doctor and he's like, Well, doctor, um, uh, you, you see, you have created something through science. You have defied God. And it just like yells suddenly and all the machinery behind him starts sparking. It's like, holy shit, this is, this is awesome. I, I did not, did not remember this. And it's like it, his delivery is always on 11 and it's just, mm, it's so much fun. And, and it really takes away from Van Helsing and Anna, because like when when I was thinking about it, like they're super stoic, super super bruddy, and like almost to the point where they don't really have a personality. You know, they they just kind of grunt and and like you know say stuff like really seriously or really bruddy and like in the low authority voice or staring off into the distance because of the tragic past or or whether they have amnesia or something like that, and then. Um, you know, Dracula over here is just having a party, and and then like Frankenstein's monster, you know, he's just like providing such pathos and emotion, and like oh the brides. Yeah. Let's talk about the brides. The brides are just having the time of their lives, just just wailing and screaming and laughing like crazy, and the okay, just wait, the okay. bat ladies, and they're just yeah. awesome. So, so this is so this is something. So, one thing that I think is the most talked about things when you get down to movies when you talk about vampires and werewolves is the big thing with the werewolves is you talk about the transformation and what the wolf actually looks like. I think those are like the two main things that you talk about when you talk about a werewolf movie. When you talk about a vampire movie, it's 
how that translates on screen. What does the vampire look like? Um, what lore are they setting up? There are far more things about the vampires in Van Helsing that I like than I dislike. The thing that I don't like is like when they unhinge their jaws like snakes, and I'm like, bats don't do that. Like that's weird. It's just stop. We could have gone. It's also that. very campy. It's like it is super yeah. campy. So it goes on theme with the rest of the movie. But the thing that I do like is like I love the like naked bat women that they turn into. I love that their spawn are all like legit baby bats when they are birthed out of their weird alien pods. Like it's weird. Like for dramatic effect. They're born in pods and they have Hugh Jackman like crack one open and stare at a sleeping one while there's this teeny tiny little gooey hand that's coming out from behind. Like it's a very like on par horror, like horror moment. I always think I always have to stop and sort of try to understand and in this case kind of appreciate how they uh, approach the lore to Dracula and Dracula's brides and the form that they take. And... I like that their bat, their bat forms aren't full bat, but full human either. They're, they're half and half, and their babies are full bat. So, yeah, I was, I was like really into it. And of course, you know, my queer ass, everyone, when I, all the, all the high school guys that I saw this movie with, they were all crushing on the one that dies early in the movie. Not me, oh, this um, one like the redhead. Marishka. Mar- Mar- yeah. Yeah. Everyone loved her, and I was like, "Nah, I like the redhead with with the violet eyes." Thank you very much. Yeah, I think I'm trying to recall. Like Mariska, she was uh, the bl- she was the blonde. She was the blonde. Alira, Ali- I think Alira was the the redhead. And yeah, then, that's my girl. And then uh, Verona was the 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 brunette. Like, yeah, she's I still- can't give a shit about her. <laughs> um. So you're you're talking about the design of the. The vampire brides. Um, yeah. And it's really cool. Like, they have, like, these really neat, flowing, swoopy, elegant Victorian dresses. And when they transform, when the, when this movie was being done at the time, uh, Stephen Summers uh, is known to, to do or use a lot of CGI in his movies. They had contracted animation and CGI work through um, Industrial Light and Magic. And at the time when this was made in 2004, they were using, they were one of the first movies to use this new proprietary motion capture technology. So they had all the brides uh, dress up in these blue, these blue suits uh, with mocap bulbs and buttons. Their upper hat, or I'm sorry, the, their head weren't covered in this blue uh, blue screen material so they could still relatively preserve their humanoid looks because that's how they looked in the transformed state like and they used really complex wire rigging and it was really awesome to hear that the three actresses so uh, elena uh, ananya uh plays alira uh sylvia coloca plays verona and josie Mur. Josie Moran plays Mariska. They all did their own stunts and all their all their wire foo uh, for those for that, especially for that uh, city or village battle scene. That uh, village all... battle scene, all things considered, I think is pretty fucking iconic. I love it. The whole scene with the holy water and the the yeah. And what's really cool about that battle scene? Um, it was uh, it was filmed on the same lot where they filmed 
the original Frankenstein, Dracula, and Wolfman movies. Uh, hold on, let me see what it was called. It was called. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Oh, here we go. I found it. Yeah. Uh, so this is from IMDb. Quote: The place where Van Helsing and Anna fight the Dracula's three brides is the same place where Frankenstein, nineteen thirty-one, Dracula, nineteen thirty-one, and the Wolfman, nineteen forty-one, were filmed. The set is called the Court of Miracles, and it's part of the studio tour at Universal Studios Hollywood. So. I think it's I think it's interesting that it's called the Court of Miracles because isn't that the name of the the gypsy's hideaway in the Hunchback of Notre Dame? The Cour des Miracles yeah. was a French term refers to the slum districts of Paris, France, where unemployed migrants from rural areas resided. Yeah, yep. these these types of areas were there served as inspiration for Victor Hugo's Le Le. Oh my God, I cannot talk. Inspiration for Le Ris. Not Le Mis. Le Mis. Yes. Okay. Le Mis and Hunchback. Yep. 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 Def okay. So there you go. And of course, you know, I hold on. What year did the Hunchback in Notre Dame? When did that come out? Uh, look at look at all of the not the the, the, the novel came out in eighteen thirty one. And the original movie came out in 1939. Oh, well, there's a 1923 sound film, a silent film. And then there's oh, a, 19, a 1939, yes. then a 1939 sound film, and then the 1996 animated film. Right. Disney. So all like all of this, just so many, so many connections. OK, we just went on a huge tangent. That's OK. <laughs> I'm not mad at it. But yeah. So, OK, so now that we're talking about like the main sort of universal monster scenarios you have the beginning of the movie does start out with dracula his brides frankenstein and frankenstein's monster which you don't get to see a lot of that and you don't really get to see a lot of the creature either until the end of the movie i didn't mind the take on the creature i thought it was a little bit more science fiction-esque than fantasy which again i didn't hate he had like Steam coming out of a joint in his leg when he walked. Uh, you could see sort of the part of his brain where the electricity was like bubbling underneath. I thought that there were some pretty cool aspects to it. Definitely more steampunk. Like like he had like Tesla coils coming out of him. And like unlike other uh, iterations of Frankenstein on in film, uh, he was actually intelligent. He could, uh, which yes. is a lot more accurate to like the Mary Shelley's frankenstein yeah yeah the um, creature is extraordinarily intelligent and i think that it's kind of refreshing for you to make it not stupid and in this rendition of of the film the one bone i have to pick with any of these things is dr jekyll and mr hyde what mm. the fuck is up with that what was that what was that David Hasselhoff did a better job on Broadway than that CGI, whatever the fuck. Yeah, I mean, it, the CGI, I, the CGI didn't bother me. I mean, it, it, it's dated. This movie's like almost 20 years old. Um, it's the, especially, I think probably the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde CGI is probably the worst of the film. Yeah, even because even though I, even though Chris and I are huge suckers for practical effects and i especially love a werewolf transformation when it is done uh with practical effects and not cgi i didn't hate the cgi werewolf transformation there are actually parts of it that i thoroughly enjoyed um but i'm gonna agree with chris 
Mr. Hyde was probably the worst CGI of this film. The worst. He was not a compelling character, comparing villain compared to everyone else. No, that's why they I, killed him ten minutes into. The yeah, movie. I mean, I, I I get I get you know Doctor Doctor Hyde's basically a plot device to illustrate how badass uh, Hugh Jackman is, um, but to me he he him as a character was didn't really add anything. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's not to say like the fight scene wasn't an entertainment, like you know. Uh, even though this was made like around the same time, or I think I think Underworld had fin- just finished filming, but was still in post production. And then while while uh, Stephen Summers was um, reaching out to Kate Beckinsale, like and he was afraid that uh, it was way too similar to Underworld, so he was hesitant. And then I think one of her agents, you know, said just sent it over, and then. Excel immediately signed it on. Um, so while this movie was was more or less happening or being made at the same time, you know, I thought there was a really cool, neat uh, callback. I don't know if it was like, intentional or not, but like there's that one scene, you know, like where Celine like shoots the floor and falls through the through the the ground, and then you have a, like a somewhat similar scene where um, Hugh Jackman's trapped in the bell and he saws his way through to create a hole and you think he you think he drops through but he's actually inside in the bell. It's like, oh, that's really cool. Uh, and the fact that, like, Dr. Jekyll is being swashbuckled, propelled and, and destroyed and, like, he gets knocked through the, the rose window and the, the, the cathedral. I uh, thought was really fun. But as a character, he was just, like, extremely one-dimensional extremely flat and like extremely stupid to the point where like this you know i just didn't like it and it does make me interested though because apparently uh there's an animated prequel called van helsing the london assignment which is a which is which is it's basically the story of van helsing exploring the dr jackson mr hyde case and uh, I didn't know that. I'll, yeah. I would watch that. Yeah, I was like, I, I did not know that either. I didn't know if this is on the DVD or was maybe it's like a like a web series kind of thing. So I figure maybe that Doctor Jekyll Mister High would be a lot less one dimensional and a lot less flat. And, and we'll we'll actually get a sense of who Doctor Jekyll was because the only time we see him is when he transforms back while he's falling. From like 200 feet from the cathedral, then then he just dies, you know. Yeah, I he wasn't going to add anything to the film, so I'm happy they killed him off early. It's just it wasn't done well. I always I don't know. I get in these moods where I feel very uh, nostalgic for this movie, which is probably why I rewatch clips from it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why. But I, 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 I did, did I did I did say to Chris that I prefer and he called my ass out. Um I I said to him, I was like, I, I like Kate Beckinsale better in Underworld. And he basically was like, Yeah, because you like goth chicks. She's not she's not goth enough in here. She's not goth <laughs> enough in this movie. And I was like, Yep, that's it, done. She's <laughs> so- I mean, but I mean like she's uh I mean like similar to uh, to Celine, like all she's doing here is she she's, she's supposed family. to kick ass. She's kicking ass, avenging her family, and and look and looking good in really tight outfits. Like that's all. That's all it was. You know, I think the movie 
tried to like give Gabriel and Anna backstory, but like it's very it's either very minimal or not executed well. Uh, there's like this one particular attempt to create some character to death that just fell flat on his face and never didn't go anywhere where it was anna and helsing and then they were about to arrive at frankenstein's old castle anna starts talking about this it was like this super weird uh out of place conversation or monologue where she's talking about how she's never seen the sea before and she she thinks it's beautiful and and then she starts staring off into the distance or like gives a thousand eyed stare into the camera and you're not quite sure what's going on and then all of a sudden i don't remember what happened but there's like an explosion uh and then it goes immediately to the action and then we never ever see how that weird sea vignette or soliloquy pays off if anything the frankenstein's monster stole it away because he we, that's the last shot we see of him he's just you know he's on a makeshift raft on the sea rowing away and he, and he sees the viking funeral i was like i don't understand what wh- why this made it into the final script i don't know what they're trying to do here are they trying to make her uh like are we supposed to feel sorry for her because like she's she doesn't have a life of her own because she's you know so her her nine generations of her family so obsessed with fighting dracula like she never had the chance to explore the sea or explore the world is that what they're trying to go for if that was the case they could have done it in a less obtuse less clumsy way there this movie isn't there's no depth to this movie there like none whatsoever and that's okay like chris said i think that the 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 good thing about this movie is that it knows it's schlocky and it owns up to it and the fact that it doesn't try to be anything that it isn't, it works in its favor. Um, I will say that the ending sucked. Yeah, the ending really fell flat. What the, fu- what the fuck was the cloud montage? Was that supposed to prove to him that there was, like, life after death or, like, whatever well, it, she says? Well, that's the, the his whole mission. Well, Van Helsing's whole mission was to assist the last two descendants, or at least protect them, because... Grand Granddaddy Valerius, uh, Lord Valerius, he made a pact saying his family will never know true peace until Dracula is destroyed. So when the Cardinal was giving his MI6 James Bond uh, Mission Impossible type of briefing, he yeah. said, like, well, if you if you if these two children die and Dracula's isn't stopped, their souls will be trapped in purgatory forever. Yes, they ended up both dying, which really sucks. So in a way, Van Helsing, you know, failed his mission. But the fact that, like, that Dracula's dead, you know, they actually, they're no longer in purgatory. They get sent to the next life. They can find peace in heaven. Um, So that was what they're going for. Although, I mean, um, which sucks, because, like, uh, when I was reading this, Van Helsing did not perform well in the box office um or as well um as is expected which is unfortunate neither did dracula untold we got two for two for this episode <laughs> and like the movie was not received well or both movies were not received well um which also disappointing and there's a there's an alternate timeline where it had this had van helsing was way more profitable and successful and popular at least in 
the box office. I think by now it's definitely a cult classic, but if it made that, it had that that money capital punch uh, right, right at the beginning, there were plans to make Van Helsing into a series of movies where it's like each different movie is like a different case file. And I thought... I honestly, I, I honestly thought it was it was weak sauce that Anna was fridged and killed at the end because like how cool okay, would it be today? To have, you. I, yeah. How did so? First of all, I thought the movie was gonna end where like they were obviously gonna cure him because they were leading up to that, but then like him and Anna and um oh I forgot what the friar's name is Carl. Carl, <laughs> thank you. And by the way, it took you way too long to realize that that was. <laughs> I don't know, it's been a long-ass while since it's all Ben Helsing. It's like, oh, shit, it's this guy. Right. But I I thought that, like, because they were leading up to this, and obviously we knew they were going to succeed. I was like, okay, so it's going to leave room for a sequel, and it's going to be the three of them going off and, like, kicking ass on adventures. That's fun. How did she die? She got... Fr- uh, it's literal fridging. She she died. The chair, the chair didn't break. There was no broken neck that we could see. She just looked like she died gracefully on a chase lounge, which was very, like, romantic, but that's it's not a cause of death. It's lazy writing, like, because because uh, Van Helsing uh, epitomizes the 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 lone the lone wolf like like kind of like a mad max figure like he's a guy who strolls into town he's a lone warrior he very cold very stoic doesn't have time for love he's a, he's a man always about the mission i i think i think that's really stupid you kill off kate beckinsale who i think at this point like it's still relatively early in her career i mean i get that um and maybe maybe they didn't know how how much of a superstar Beckinsale would become, but still, like, why shoot your cash cow in the foot when you you should leave an opportunity for a sequel, especially, especially if because I I think I think the uh the relationship there's there was definitely room for not just the relationship but their character though to deepen. Um, because we don't get a lot of that in that, in, in this first film. You it's all it's like 80% action and the character work they did is very minimal or always gets interrupted or it kind of falls on his flat on his face but like it's passable because like you know these are dark brooding quote-unquote damaged characters with the ending that we got it, it it's kind it's kind of cliffhanger or kind of sequel esque it's like it's like it's like a like a aerial shot of Van Helsing and Carl like rotting off into the sunset um and don't get me wrong i love carl i love uh i love his i love his dynamic he, he provides a lot of comedic relief um his actor kevin j o'connor great actor as well love all the stuff he's in it but he's not necessarily like the, like the person i want to see partner up with all for like a few a sequel if a sequel is gonna happen or assuming we live in an alternate timeline where you know there's a bunch of sequels. No, I want, I want, I want that from deep romantic sexual tension between Gabriel and Anna. And now you, now we can't have it unless, unless like she comes back as a ghost or something like that. So I don't know. I, I, I mean, she's I, up uh, in the clouds where she clearly has enough moisture to shed a tear, which is the stupidest fucking shit I've ever seen in my life. 
yeah i don't know i i know i i wish i wish that they could have those more of those case file type of sequels because they, they can do it can become very hellboy ish where they can you know they can move away from like the classic victorian uh horror and then you know maybe they explore like they fight they track down the baba yaga or something like that you know whatever yeah but even if they wanted to stay in in, in gothic horror i mean look at penny dreadful on showtime they combine so many iconic characters from gothic horror and put them into one movie and it and put them into one tv series and it worked or they could have done like league of extraordinary gentlemen type of thing where like you meet up with all of this all of these um gothic horror characters that you've seen before and whether they team up together or they fight when whatever it is like you can still create like a like a thread through all of this so i also don't don't necessarily agree with any sort of romance like yeah there was tension i sort of chalked it up to the fact that they were all always on the brink of death I don't know if I would have agreed with any sort of any sort of like real romance between the two of them would have felt like kind of forced. But that's just me. But come on, Hugh Jackman, Kate Beckinsale. This is like I, like like, like the mummy, like the mummy. Your, your sexuality is, is like I want I want to I want to date everyone in this movie. Dracula, well, yes, yes. <laughs> but the difference is, is I think in the, somewhere in the back of my brain, I wanted to see Van Helsing and Carl get together. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, but, 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 like, but, but Hugh Jackson's like, like, but Carl, you're, you're a monk, and Carl's like, no, I'm a friar, I can friar. get away with it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I don't know. I just like, I yeah. So my brain just thinks that like a like a romance between them just like would have been too forced. Like it wouldn't have worked. I don't know. Mm. I'm crazy. It's fine. Or, or the you know, like their their the relationship could be just platonic. They're just a badass pair of monster hunters. Totally cool as well. Right, right. Like I would buy, I buy that more than I buy a, a romance between them. Gabriel Van Helsing's too edgy. He's like, no, my first love is my my repeating crossbow. My first love is Carl. <gasps> yes, yes, yeah. Justice for Carl. Uh, we want to <laughs> ship Carl. We want to ship Carl and Van Helsing. Oh, Carl, Carl did not get enough credit. Come on, he like he took. He, he saw how brave he was taking on Igor. <laughs> Everything to that. Carl Van Helsing. That's yes, that's yes, <laughs> beautiful. So I think we went a little bit long on Van Helsing. Like we we're like almost at an hour. We haven't talked about Dracula Untold, so we can keep Dracula Untold very short because I know I think we buried the lead on this earlier. I hated it. You hated <laughs> it. Tell me why you hated Dracula Untold. Okay, so here's the thing. I understood there were there were parts of this movie where I was like, huh, interesting. Let's see where this goes. I just I don't I don't know. Maybe it was not that I have anything against Chris Evans. You mean Maybe Luke was, Evans. Oh yeah, sorry. Well, there you go. <laughs> not that I have anything against Luke Evans, but I definitely don't have anything against Chris Evans. Thank you, Captain America. Um mm. I I, maybe it was him. I don't know. There was just something that I just like wasn't buying about this movie. I actually, I was pretty impressed by Luke Evans. I thought he was one of the stronger roles. I thought it was he, you know, he, he was I like th the only role. What else yeah. are you gonna be impressed by by that movie? I mean, I thought, I thought he, I think he played like the 
the the tortured soul pretty good and like i don't know maybe maybe my my bar for or my low bar for entertainment showing i i thought maybe he, was, he wasn't half bad again i don't know i think it just like i i don't know there was just there was something about it that just like wasn't sitting right i will say that the thing that i did find uh different and interesting was i like that they kept there were certain parts that they they kept for this movie that i was like oh this is an interesting take this is good was they sort of made it almost historical which i thought was really different um it was a historical fiction right like they made him dracula who you know is loosely based on like vlad the impaler and i thought that that them tying that into the story was it really interesting and they i mean i know that uh Coppola did that as well, but we'd only really we've only really seen it there, unless I'm mistaken. But if that was like really one of the few times, I I might be talking out of my ass. I don't know, but it's, it's late. It's late right now. It's okay. It is. Um, but I I thought that that was pretty cool. But the one thing that I did enjoy. So when you normally watch a Dracula movie, you see Dracula. And Dracula is the lone vampire in the film. And it's his story. Um, in this case, it is Dracula's story, but he's not the lone vampire in this movie. So, so this is this is where like that was different and I and I liked that and I sort of like I kinda have to commend this movie a little bit for it. So Dracula Untold was also by Universal Pictures, so it was kind of a way to one reboot the Dracula film series uh create a origin story for the character it originally served as a primer as a setup for the dark universe cinematic universe right it was supposed um, but to then, kickstart the dark cinematic universe right? yeah but then it, it it happened and then it kind of flopped on its face at the box office so they kind of stepped it back and then they kind of did a retcon where then they were saying no wait two years from now the mummy by tom cruise this is actually the movie that will kickstart the dark universe and then you know okay well that, that movie was worse than this one so if an argument has to be made as to which one could have potentially kickstarted the dark universe it's this one yeah and 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 you know when you mentioned the second vampire that gets to my point where you have uh charles dance you know aka Ty tywin lannister so he plays uh, he plays an unnamed vampire like the credits uh in imdb they call him the master vampire yeah uh, and so he shows up at the end uh in the modern day again uh tracking uh you know stalking uh luke evans and the plan was for Charles Dance to be this sort of Nick Fury, Sam Jackson character. Well, where he shows up in other other Dark Universe films. So I, I, I still haven't seen The New Mummy, but I, I would guess I like either. he would show it there. And whatever, like whatever the version like there, like, let's say the Dark Universe actually is happening in his alternate universe you know he would show up in frankenstein and the visible man and the wolf man and the the gill man you know and he, and he would be well, we did get the invisible man movie so maybe what it was that was that i still haven't seen the visible man either is that I haven't actually part of the dark universe 
branding as well? Because right now, I think in general, Dark Universe is kind of in like development hell. I, I know I was reading up some news where Luke Evans would be open to doing another Dracula film because of contractual obligations. So mm-hmm. there might, I don't know. I mean, no, supposedly it is supposedly uh the invisible man is the quote-unquote first film in the thrice rebooted dark universe oh yeah and was it wasn't the invisible man like pretty decent like i heard i've heard amazing things about oh interesting (laughs) so who knows you might see luke evans back you know again for right but but that was so that's that was part of the whole thing. They just said thrice rebooted. So it didn't work with this movie. It didn't work with the mummy. So they took a chance on the invisible man and they're using that as sort of a jumping off point to the rebooting of the dark universe mm-hmm. is what it sounds like. Interesting. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So basically Charles dance was is supposed to be this omniscient figure, I guess kind of like a Nick Fury Thanos type of, you know, character where, all the universal monster uh, archetypes will have to f- defeat like this new master threat. That's that that brings me back to you know the the template of this movie. It's not a horror movie. It's a, more of like a dark fantasy historical fiction movie with heavy comic book elements and a little bit like lord of the rings like epic battle game of thrones elements thrown in like there's some quote-unquote scary moments but like it's yeah i mean but like in the same way van helsing wasn't that scary but like you know as well but they had their jump scare moments i just think that there were too many parts of this that were sort of like cheesy and um predictable like i was predicting parts of the dialogue and i don't want to do that i don't want to know what the writer's already written before i hear it it's irritating i i agree like this movie's really predictable um it's um i mean it's when he figured out he could control the bats at the end of the movie and you had that quintessential hand shot where, like, he did something with his hand and then you, like, panned over to the CGI bats and they did the same thing. It was just sort of like, yeah, all right, we get it. He can control the fucking bats. Like, all right, enough. Like, there. It's like, you know, I think the cards are stacked against the movie to begin with because the movie is called Dracula Untold. You know, you know that the movie is about Dracula. And like, and like, so you, you know, it's it's kind of like how I felt about the Han Solo film. It's like, well, we know Han Solo is gonna gonna be okay because like he shows up in like you know two, three trilogies, right? So, um, there are certain boxes that this is gonna have to tick because you under it. But I will say that the refreshing side of this is that it wasn't the same origin story it wasn't overly romanticized there was no mina there was no jonathan there was no renfield there was none of that so it was different it Um, it was it's like for me like you know you know right right off to being like oh yes I'm i'm a boy so i need action and 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 blood and like it had that in spades and it was it told uh the story dracula as you know, a family man who was a former warlord who still is a monster in a way because, like, he yes, he's a he's a he's a he's a king, he's a hero to his people, but 
you know, in his early days, he he was known as like the the son of the dragon, and and he, he was like one of the greatest warriors of the Ottoman Empire, and like he staked a thousand people, and uh, so he has this inner darkness that uh, was always there. It just took uh, a an incredible amount of pressure to bring him out. Where you know, it, it's like he he's a he's a he's a bad guy trying to be good. You know, trying to like be on the right path, but like you know, sometimes the forces that be, whether it's like the Ottoman Empire or uh, duty and honor and family, which are all noble things, but like in and but you, you know, sometimes you do really dark, compromising things to 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 think what you. Do. It's like it's it's a it's a story of morality. It's like what what is the right decision? And like sometimes yeah. you would live in a world of gray. And like so, Dracula thought he did his right. You know, he wanted to save his family, save his people, and then he made a deal with the devil. I mean, both both transformation sequences occur in this and in the original source material. Um, they both sort of have the same origin, which is. It's coming from heartbreak in the uh, Coppola Dracula movie. She thinks that he's dead. So she commits suicide and throws herself out the window. And because they refuse to um, admit her to be admit her soul into heaven because she took her own life after everything that he did for them, he renounces God and becomes what he is. Um, This was she died and he like almost couldn't get her in time. So she was like, become the thing you don't want to become to save your son and save the rest of our people. I'm dying anyway. So it's fine. So she's like, like I give my life to you. Like it's okay. Yeah. Right. Like it's fine. So it was, they're both coming from acts of, of heartbreak, which I think was sort of like, in Han Solo, like, you know that certain things have to come to pass in order for it to kind of, like, be moderately successful. Well, you know that the wife has to die in order for him to become who he is. Like, it was inevitable. It was a box that had to be checked. So I don't necessarily fault it for that. I like that you at least got to see him be a family man for most of the movie. It sort of, like, added just, like, a, a slightly different element than this, uh, um tragic romanticized figure mm-hmm. maybe i enjoyed this movie more than i thought i did i don't know I i'm finding it more pros than cons now that we're talking you're, about it <laughs> I, I had the receipts you're like chris this is terrible and they start listing more reasons like i'm listing more like, reasons like, why like, i enjoyed it <laughs> like, well, let's talk about the climax of the film which you really enjoy which was like the silver fight scene okay so that was i thought that that was like quasi original though i was like huh He's the, but also like if you're if this is someone that you used to call brother if this is like an enemy you do your best to sort of learn what you can about them and learn their weak spots so he says i heard that you have a weakness to silver so what did he do he lured him to a tent that is liver covered in silver coins a lot of the tribute was paid by vlad himself in the past by the way exactly and that is like that's a genius move just on like a good leader's part you know what i mean so i just thought that that was just like an interesting move to make and i thought that that also contributed to i don't want to call it a success but 
and um, like like yeah. part of the pun, but it gave like the the climax some real stakes. Ah. Uh, 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 Okay, uh, I said this to you in a text. Hold on, I said this to you in a text. Okay, one of my biggest fucking gripes with vampire lore is the stake through the heart. Because if I stake you through the heart, Chris, you'll die too. It's not a vampire thing, that's just like a biological thing. If you stab someone in the chest, you're going to die. Of course. Right, but it's always just such like a, this massive part of vampire lore. And it, it, oh, it's been one of those things that like really irks me. Like I just like I don't understand. So when Dominic Cooper delivers the line, "If I stake you through the heart, you'll die like any other man," I'm like, yes, thank you for adding that last part. It's not just about vampires. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And also, thank you, you know, Captain Obvious. But like, right. I, what I lo- what I love about this scene, what is is a really uh, ingenious and creative thing i haven't seen in any vampire lord before yeah and it makes a lot of sense like one he's weakened so he's more easily wounded he's slower he's not as strong um his vampire eyesight senses are being fucked up because like you know reflects really weird in a vampire's eyesight and i like how they cut back to that and they show it kind of like they, they kind of like he's on drugs almost like his vision is obscured and He's sort of like operating on a half HP, and I like that they show that to you. It, you're right; it was different, and I and that part I was just like, okay, this is something we haven't seen. Thank you for showing me something different. Every time someone else does a vampire movie, I just want to see something different that I haven't seen. That something that hasn't been like done to death before. And it gives the movie like uh, a much needed ounce of tension because, like, yes, yeah, so like especially when Dracula, you know becomes a full vampire his powers go off the chain like he he can literally summon cl- like thunderclap clouds that block out the sun so his him and his vampire spawn can walk in the daytime and he he has like he can summon a literal fist of of bats that punches and punches and wipes away like 10,000 people at one time um so it's good to it's it's you know it, it dramatically it's a nice balance to, for him to like, you know, feel like he could be mortal. Um, because like for most of the film, like he's just crazy OP. Um, and I, I, I did that. And it, I think it did it in a very creative way. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was one of those things where I was like, okay, you're giving me something I've never seen before. And for as much hate as this movie got, I think that that deserves some credit. Because it wasn't, it wasn't the usual, it wasn't the usual, like, things that you normally see in a vampire movie. Like, going back to Van Helsing, when Carl knows that he's going to fight vampires and he's going to fight Van Helsing, he gives him holy water, garlic, silver steak. Okay. And and, and a sunlight grenade. And a sunlight grenade, which, that was actually pretty fucking cool, too. But, you know, in this film, you know, silver becomes the the sort of token weakness besides sunlight and it, and and it has it has roots in in superstition like the reason why uh vampires don't have reflections is because like old old mirrors back in the day had like silver silver linings in the back and you know silver is seen as a pure metal right which was why i i hope that there are 
uh, burgeoning young writers out there who want to write vampires into the modern world um, can write a vampire in the modern world that exists and can hopefully write in a line somewhere that's like, well, how come you can see your reflection and feed them that exact point of knowledge because silver isn't incorporated in the making of mirrors anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, again, and that, and, and that is... I, I I as much as I hate to admit it, that's also a, a point in the in the in the pro column for me. Yes, yes, good, good. You like I, this film? Maybe, <laughs> I think maybe, I it, uh, maybe a little bit more than I did before you and I started talking about it. They do they do sort of end the movie um, with a nod to the original uh, Dracula because when he sees his wife, I guess like not reincarnated, but the gener many generations later, on um, who like that family um because the son survived and they melted all the silver the silver coins down like they erased his father's existence they melted all the silver away i guess because i think somewhere in the back of his tiny mind that might make him come back um oh yeah and, and the the kid in the voiceover saying like yeah my father was a hero but there's no statues and no there's no statues there's no nothing to commemorate him yeah um, when he sees his wife, she introduces herself as Mina, which, as we know, Mina Harker is one of the main characters in Dracula. And then, of course, you see, like, Master Vampire just chilling out there and says, let the games begin. They set up for a sequel. I don't know why he would get upset. Is it because he found the love of his life again? Like, that would be interesting. Like, why? Why are you mad now? Like, <laughs> why Why are you mad now? Why are you mad, bro? <laughs> um, so that that I don't like I don't know how I would necessarily feel about that so I think that that's something different to explore um is it because like you thought he was going to come seek you out after this and he didn't are you like alone like I don't understand so I did think it was also a different and interesting thing for him to turn his entire village so that they could fight against the turks because oh, i love that scene was so cool that was like so that was so incredible See, you do love this film <laughs> no but it really was because dracula's whole thing is that he says he's cursed and that he doesn't want to make anybody else like him because it's such a lonely and horrible existence this guy had no qualms about turning his entire village to do because as he said he was like a good prince would have done this i'm going to do better i'm going to make sure they can never hurt us again so he like he took his princely duties above and beyond. Like he he offered he like he then he killed he, his whole fucking village. <laughs> he killed his whole fucking village, but like like he, then ah. but then he he like this is like a prelude to like how seductive and charismatic and how dangerous uh, of a personality Dracula is because like he goes back and he's like and everyone's dying. He's like, do you do you want revenge? Yep. <laughs> and it's like yeah of course like so drink and then and then yeah and then he he gets an entire vampire armies on the side because uh he well he when he goes to he his wants. when he goes to his right hand man and he asks do you want revenge so like okay so one of my favorite lines from interview with the vampire is i'm going to give you the choice i never had and it's lestat asking of louis basically do you want to die or not i'm giving you the choice like, drink from me and you'll live forever. So he's offering them a choice. He doesn't do it by force. He asks them. And I love when he does it to his right-hand man, how the camera pans over. 
and you see these two women huddled together and they have blood on their mouths like and it goes backwards and you see the trail of people he went through to get to him that all made the same choice yes we'll take this from you yes we want revenge and like it, that scene was just so rivet like the like the the passion and determination in like his lieutenant's eyes he just like looks at his his commanders like yes turn me and then and then he blows up in his face afterwards is like was like well um you know when now they, they're when all they're trying, the enemy yeah like they're all the enemy like you we now your son's the enemy and then drag is like no uh, you you're dead to me and it just like parts the clouds and like destroys everyone including himself that was so metal i love that scene he also impaled him, but not, but because he's not fully human anymore, he doesn't stay impaled. Instead, like, he, like, flays apart on the, on the pole, and, like, his skeleton just slides down. Like, that was, talk about two worlds colliding that they introduce you to in this film. That was pretty fucking cool. Maybe I enjoyed Aww. this movie more than I thought. Uh, I'm, I'm quoting it here. <laughs> it's pretty fucking cool. That's right. You heard it. You heard it. Dracula Untold. It has been reclaimed by Leopard Dread. It's canon. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't go so far as to say that this movie like rebooted the dark universe. No, but it's, it's, no, I don't. It's got flaws. Even now, I don't, I don't necessarily think we need a, cinematic universe even though even though that's all the rage i mean i mean from a from a money standpoint you know dc's trying to do well <laughs> dc's trying keyword try you know like you know marvel marvel predict uh uh oh my god marvel perfected the formula oh god now i'm trying to think what are, what other big franchises have done it like to the extent that marvel has um well i guess well star wars of course yeah start um but i don't necessarily think we need a dark universe universe i think i think it'd be i think it'd be perfectly fine to have continual standalone stories but like if you're gonna do that like i think i think like you know this is just a the recipe for success is you know make standalone stories and like if you want to include charles dance and and have like a brief cameo like yeah cool go ahead you know you can hint at a a widening network i don't think it's right to make a cinematic universe for the sake of making a cinematic universe like focus on making a really great story like so if, if they if they do a sequel to dracula untold or maybe they reboot it again or maybe they do frankenstein or maybe they do jack the ripper something like that who knows um but like just focus on make making a great solid story which could stand on its own feet and if you want to throw an easter egg at the end like a post credit scene cool um and then you know just you know make, do the work i mean that, that's like that's the mistake that the dcu did way back when with man of steel and batman versus superman and like the strain to dawn of justice like they're 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 trying to play catch up. And it's like, no, like, if you're DC, you have your own set of properties. If you're, if you're Universal, you have this great cast of, of characters. You have the rights. You know, you have, like, these classic monsters and these monster stories stand the test of time. And there's a reason why 
these stores are continuously touch our are, are touchstones and our inspirations and our basis for new adaptations. You know, you just gotta kind of work your way back, try to figure out what makes these characters great, what makes them tick, what's compelling about them, and you know, try to expand on them in a new avenue uh, that you haven't seen before. Find capable uh, directors and actors and and talent and. You know, don't try to chase the dragon of, like, making a dark universe for the sake of making a dark universe. It's not going to work. You know, you have to do, you have to build in the building blocks, build a foundation, and the rest will follow. I mean, because, like, the Marvel approach, they, they played the long game so effortlessly and so, so patiently. And it, you know, after a decade, you know, then, the, you know, Endgame comes out, and it's, like, the biggest thing... It's bigger than sliced bread, toasted bread, whatever, you know? Um, I'm getting very tired. I need to, I need to crawl back into my crypt. Uh, you have to crawl back into his crypt. Okay. Yes. Um, I think, honestly, you were right. No, I think you said it all. I, wow, I really think maybe I did enjoy Dracula. Oh, uh, yeah. Do it. Admit it. You love it. <laughs> how, how would you, how would you rate these movies? I would give a... Van Helsing, three and a half. What's the rating system? Three and a half vampire eggs out of five. Uh, it doesn't get higher marks because I do think the characterization of Gabriel Van Helsing and Anna are pretty weak. They're mostly there just to look awesome and look pretty and to blow shit up, which is totally cool. Yeah. Um, but. I do wish they had more emotional depth. Their personal backstories were really rushed expositions, whether by Carl or Dracula. I mean, especially for Gabriel's standpoint, because he has amnesia. Um, and then for Anna, like, you know, we don't really know much about her past or her wants or ambitions. It's kind of like this one-track mind where, you know, it's, I gotta kill Dracula. And we don't really know much more about her. And she gets fridged at the end, which I'm also upset about. Like, I don't think it was right to kill her off just so to give Hugh Jackman some tragic, some additional trauma to like embolden himself and be like, oh well, I I can't have well, I guess I I have I I can't I don't have time for romance. I got have to hunt more monsters because we need the sequel to make. It's like no no, ha team up with Anna, team up with Kate Beckinsale, team up and go f like m m Dark Knight, Dark. You give it the Dark Knight, and we're like like the Vatican calls them back to Rome, and th there's there's a Jack the Ripper shows up in Rome or something like that. You know, that's like okay, so, the, so that'd be so cool. It's like you give it like that Dark Knight treatment where like um the card is like Van Helsing. Uh we have a we have a there was a, a ritual killing. Uh five five maidens were slain uh one night and they left a calling card and it's like something like something Jack the Ripper-esque. I I don't know, maybe like a handwritten letter or like a, a dagger or playing card. I don't know. Yeah, you're just right, you're just ripping off a Joker right there. But like, you know, that would really I would love to see the shit out of that. Just like like a uh, a super messed up, super cool, hyper supernatural version of a Jack the Ripper or like 
I don't know. Or um, I know I, there was a there was a deleted scene where the Gilman was supposed to show up in in um, Frankenstein's underwater cave. Uh, you know, maybe. I don't know. I think there's definitely more you could do with those two characters, especially if I mean, who doesn't love like a swashbuckling adventure? And this is coming from the the mind of the genius of Stephen Summers. So. Speaking of swashbuckling adventures, the fact that you just said that also sort of like circles back to your original thought process for wanting to do this episode in the first place, which was D&D. Yes, exactly. Yes. I mean, so like honestly, Van like the D&D adventures. Really Van cool. Helsing, this movie is so much it's like D&D. a <laughs> campaign. It's like, like. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> Van Helsing is the D&D campaign where it's set in a gothic universe and the the party members don't care about social encounters or, or uh, they just want to fight stuff. And so they right, fight. Except, <laughs> except someone decided to fall in love with the NPC of Anna and you're like, well, fuck, now I have to work that in. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, like, exactly. oh, no. <laughs> exactly. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then the players beg... The players beg uh, the DM for shiny new magic weapons, so that's why I have to create Carl, who's my version of Q, to give you yes. overpowered weapons. Like, oh yeah, here's a repeating crossbow with infinite ammo, and here's a sunlight grenade. It's totally not balanced, but fine. Go. On. It's rule of cool. Have at it. Have fun. You know. Um, and then Dracolon told, I'll give it a three out of five. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot more. Than I was expecting. Um, I really love like the al- the alternate history fictional narrative where it focuses on Tepes as a young warlord and more of his family life um, and how that was like the main driving force into his descent of darkness. It, it plays very much like a gritty, grim, dark superhero origin movie. Um, and I like that. I mean, I think that fits with the Dracula character. And um, I mean, call me call it cliched. I thought it was so cool when he like smacking people with giant bat fists. Like it was like, this is my shit. This is so cool. And yeah, um, again, low bar for entertainment. And I know it's it's just meant to entertain. And like, it's not it's not perfect. I think I think it, it, people should give it a lot more credit than they're willing to give. Um, yeah, I think no, it has a lot 100%. more. I think it has a lot more to. It has a lot more promise, and it, it just does. It does a lot of. There's a lot of novelty to this film, you know. So yeah, that's, that's no, my I agree. On it. I I do think that people should give Van Helsing more credit than they do. I still think it's trash, but it's my trash, and I definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that being said, I do I do give both of these movies. Three out of five, uh, um, Dracula bats. But I say that th- really, b- truly believing that I was going to end this episode giving Dracula Untold at least a two. So, yeah, I, I guess, I guess in t- so sometimes Chris has an opinion coming into an episode and by the end of the episode because we've talked so much he ends up liking something just like slightly better than he did before and I think that that happened over the course of this episode Chris really liked this movie I came into it really like having a strong 
hateful opinion about it, but the more I talked about it with you, the more I think that I actually might have enjoyed it more than I'm giving myself credit for. <laughs> Yay! So, <laughs> on that note, thank you for listening to another episode of Love for Jed. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Everything helps. You can listen to us on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify every Friday. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. You can find us on Facebook, and you can check us out on our website at leftfordread.com. And um, we we apologize, or we thank you for sticking <laughs> uh, through this. I I mean, we love we love schlocky, campy horror films, and you can't get more schlocky than Van Helsing, two thousand four. Yeah, it's, it's just. So good. So good. And I want to thank, give a special shout out to Rye for like indulging my D&D uh, addiction. And I just want to give it up for Rye for, for being such a good sport about it. Because like, it's like, yeah, but, but I can, we can watch The Grudge. We can watch Desno, but I still want to do more D&D stuff. So let's do <laughs> So thank you, Rye. No, I will honestly, I'll do this shit anytime. Because don't like, okay, just... For some insight for our listeners, there are some movies that are on our list where you're going to be like, I cannot believe you're wasting your time on this. And that is, that's just, it, it's, a, it's a thing that happens, right? Like, not everything is going to be everybody's cup of tea. So, like, Van Helsing might not be your cup of tea, but Dracula Untold might. Maybe you only listen to one part of this episode. That's fine. <laughs> everybody has everybody has their own their own no shield. no you know what i will never forgive you if you don't watch dragon <laughs> untold it is great ryan is a convert and you will be too you'll be turned and, and you'll 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 become a children a child of the night and we can hang out and we can talk about how awesome dragon untold is and it, it should be it should, it should have won an oscar nomination and yes okay, Chris, <laughs> i wouldn't go that far i wouldn't go that far I don't, I don't thanks know thanks, thanks for listening stay dreadful <laughs> stay dreadful <laughs>